All right, so at the end of last week's episode of Trek About, I said to Richard and I said to everyone listening to Trek About that I had been very nervous about this week. And Richard, do you understand why I said that now? I'm very happy that we've almost gotten through it in about an hour. We will never have to think about Kid Chaos again. Uh, we will hopefully be able to purge this out of our memories of Jason Alexander, and I think we will be okay, but God, did I not think we were going to be okay during it? Um, no, uh, the second episode, um, Think Tank, I kind of liked in its way as a gimmick episode, it's fine, um... But the think, ba- think Tank is fine, but Thank- it has a fundamental problem at its core, which we will talk about. Uh, but let's stick with the fight for now. Which the fight, yeah, it's it's boring. not good. This I, is yeah, it's a very. This is one of the worst episodes of Star Trek Voyager, I think. <laughs> yeah, there, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't interesting enough to be bad. I was just bored to tears during it. Um, You could tell they thought that the boxing sequences were going to be one of those, you know, great little Voyager set pieces that the series is so known for. And it was just dull. It was very, it's by the numbers in its own way. It's reminiscent of so many better episodes. And... (sighs) There's just nothing about it that justifies its existence in mm. any way, shape, or form. I, I, I really have to question the decision to center a Chakotay episode. Someone who has not gotten his own episode in, in in quite a while. I don't think since the fourth season. I don't remember which episode it was, but uh, actually, no. I think it was the episode where he falls in love with the woman whose memories get erased and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that might have been the third season is that possible anyway no it had to have been more reese i don't know he had that one episode where he was with that weird army that i really liked and they're speaking very poetically um that was the beginning of the fourth season i believe okay Uh, i mean chakotay has some good good episodes but i mean it's lazy to the degree of what do we do with chakotay let's give him a vision quest and weird trippy visions like, right. No, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Is like it, 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 It's a paint-by-numbers Chakotay episode where the only thing they zero in on is that this guy is an Indian. And, I mean, the show has never been great about yeah. his generic Indian heritage, as we have talked about. And if you want to hear our thoughts about that, go back to, like, season one and two of Voyager when we, you know, talk about that. Uh, we don't need to relitigate that here. But suffice it to say, they have become even less interested in chakotay's indian heritage and once they fired their consultant who had no real credentials i think they kind of swept that under the rug realized like okay we really just don't know what we're talking about so let's uh let's try and tell other stories again the episode where he's with that other army worked really well because it's actually about his character the episode with the woman losing her memories about his character and this is like well let's do the engine stuff again yeah no exactly because i i think you're right that that's pretty much what happened like they decided that 
they were not in any way, shape, or form uh, qualified to, to write stories about a, a yeah. Native American and decided not to do that and sort of repivoted the character of Chakotay. And yeah, that never went away. That was always part of his, his character and part of his heritage and part of everything about him. But it kind of got a little shoved aside. And, you know, here and there they would drop in something about Chakotay trying to teach someone how to do a spirit quest or something like that. But the one with it didn't Neelix's seem that egregious. Death, yeah. Yeah, Neelix's Fear of Death was a good one. It's a way to go into the other character. It's, yes, an unersatz uh, Native American mythology and stuff, but it's generic enough that it's not bothersome. It doesn't – it's light and broad enough that it doesn't really offend anybody, I guess. Yeah, that, I think that's a good way to put it. But then you get an episode like The Fight, which, I mean, let's be charitable charitable and and say that the actual plot of the episode is even less interesting than everything else that surrounds it. And it's, it's, in a lot of ways, this reminds me of Masks, the season 7 TNG episode, where Data has these, like, weird visions and things (laughs) are happening to him. And I don't even really remember what the fuck was going on in Masks. But it's that kind of episode which... This is another one of those episodes which presupposes that this sort of really lazy and and, and frankly ungenerous mysticism is going to be is going to be interesting and deep and thought provoking by dint of the fact that it is lazy and ungenerous mysticism. And it's it's not like I I I question the decision to do that because not because it's not a good idea, but because they just don't know how to execute it properly. It's true. It, it it it's. I mean, it's mysticism that has no enlightenment or no spiritual truths to it. Um, it's this weird and- connection between mysticism and madness, which is certainly a theme that many great works have done and this is just a, such a slapdash treatment of it that you know it's it's a joke i mean he 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 because his grandfather was was likely schizophrenic chicote is able to talk to aliens which psychically can manipulate his schizophrenia in order to give him directions i mean that is what this episode is about and that's really stupid it it is really stupid and i think that you know again once again we come to this place with star trek voyager where more often than not they build episodes on very shaky scientific f- foundation and in this episode it is said that the chaotic space which okay whatever is it's voyager on how- latent dna and you're like that's not how anything no. works ever and then more more than that like it is equating it is equating mysticism or spirituality with mental illness in a way which i frankly find i i find it not not upsetting not offensive because i myself do not suffer from any sort of serious mental illness but i just find it really it's sort of oft putting like i 
you get these scenes with Robert Beltran acting his heart out, acting like a, a, I mean, a crazy person. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, you know, begging the doctor to put him out of his misery, essentially. And, and, and they're very upsetting scenes. And once again, I think with their shades of two Vicks in here, there's shades of a lot of other episodes in here. But it's just not worth the time spent on it because none of it goes anywhere. Yeah, I mean, this is the question that you have to ask yourself at the end of a show. What did we learn? What did the character learn? What did anybody on Voyager learn from this? And to the degree that, yes, Chakotay is able to finally come to terms with the mental illness of his grandfather, which... It was scared and disturbed him as a child, and he was worried for his own. You know, yes, all of that was resolved. Now, of course, we never knew anything about that before. We knew we never knew anything about that since. And I guess maybe that's part of why I, I'm very disappointed in this episode because this is not the first uh, show to just suddenly have a character be afraid of something and resolve it in an episode, sure. right? Like characters will suddenly become alcoholics for an episode and then get it resolved that happens on shows you know, things like that suddenly oh i've been a he- i was a heavy smoker 20 years ago and now i'm smoking again for the special episode thing okay fine but voyager is better than that because i mean how many times especially recently have we been saying like this is a really cool thing because this character is re- – Neelix is terrified of the darkness and night and that's a really nice callback to his vi- – he had no vision of the afterlife and death to him is nothingness and that is an ultimate terror for it. Like mo- moments like that or Seven of Nine uh, hears Naomi Wildman say I don't want to be alone and remembers her experiences and, uh, during one and that motivates her in that way. Like, there are mu- many more things that Chakotay could have connected to in order to have an episode about him. They don't need to invent something else from him. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it. Like, does the show care about Chakotay fundamentally? Like, do they have a good handle on who he is as a person? I I kind of think not. And I think that... You know, you saying, okay, well, they have a good understanding of who Neelix is and they use his history appropriately to sort of add a different flavor, a different shade to his actions in the present. You know, Seven of Nine, they've got a good handle on her. I think other characters, which are even someone like Harry Kim, right? Someone that that we make fun of all the time for for being very underwritten and, and, and very uninteresting. They have tried different ways to justify his uninterestingness. Yeah. And they have succeeded and they have not succeeded. But... Chicote, I remember having this problem with Chicote from day one where he had this vague Indian spirituality and it was very sort of like, what are you guys doing here? And it turns out that they had this consultant that wasn't really an Indian and didn't know anything about Native American culture, like making all this shit up to episodes like um, uh, Tattoo, right, where he is like flashing back to the time when he was an angry young man and his father and the way that he was going to uh, uh, honor his father's memory was to leave Starfleet and fight the Maquis. And then, you know, three episodes later, he makes a joke about like having a good relationship with his father. And you're like, does the show understand or remember who Chakotay is? And, and I don't think they do. I, I think that 
they've never really had a good handle on the character of Chakotay. And this is a this is an episode that really indicates that they don't know what to do with him. That I can really see Robert Beltran like going to the writer's room or going to the producer's office and saying, Listen, I haven't had an episode since yeah. I got to make out with uh, uh what's her name? Rachel Marsden or whatever her name is. Um, can you please write me an episode? Write me an episode. I want something to do. I don't just want to sit in this chair and say yes, yeah. Captain, no captain all the time, or or like have a scene where I argue with Janeway and then she ignores me. Like give me something to do. And this is what they give him to do? It's another monkey's paw episode. Oh, uh, we wanted a Chicote <laughs> episode. Here you go. Um, well, I I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. There's a, one of the scenes when Janeway's talking to him and she's like, oh, you need to get better. I need my first officer back. And he says, Tuvok can do it. And in my mind, I'm all like, yeah, Tuvok can do it. He's not irreplaceable like if Ch- i mean and this is a really sad thing but let's say this is a 2000s era show where anybody can die if they kill chakote for cheap drama what has the show lost nothing like he's the he's one of those expendable characters that could be killed in a finale to show how dangerous anything is and tuvaku move up everybody she'll shift over and it'll be fine yeah, Tuvok moves up, Seven of Nine becomes the tactical officer, and everybody's happy. Yeah, certainly. I think they could very easily do that, and I I think that's a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, we have talked about this once again in the past, where Star Trek Voyager has nine main cast members. That's a lot of people to serve in every episode, and TNG didn't do it well with Seven a lot of the time. Um, not Seven the character, Seven cast members. I, although now I want to see Seven of Nine on TNG. How fun would that be? Oh <laughs> they'd all try and she would just be so pissed off and they'd just like be taking to her her to concerts and singing to her and like data would be following her around oh god she would be so annoyed by data and data would love her (laughs) oh my god they would be i i mean i'm sure there is a ton of really bad sexy fan fiction but also like philosophical thought experiment fan fiction between the two of them i'm sure but anyway well, listeners, if you know if Seven of Nine and Data ever meet in any of the uh, spinoff novels, please let me know because I would be really, really curious to hear that. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's really what it comes down to is like this this episode is presupposing that, that what they are putting on the screen is interesting uh, because it is on television, I guess. And okay, this was before the era of, you know, two screen watching and nobody had smartphones, but like we do now. And yeah, I have to be honest, like I didn't pick up my phone watching this episode, but I had to pause it a couple times and get up and do something else because it was real boring. And that's, yeah. that's the that's... other severe criticism with this episode is that everything else we've said is true, but it's also just tedious to watch. Yeah, I mean, we we a lot of times we've talked about like, well, this wasn't a great episode, but you know, this is still Berman era Star Trek. They know what they're doing. This is a, you know, and that was not the case here. Like, this is just, I mean, this is a show that was made by a group of very tired people. Yeah, yeah, this no, is, absolutely. You know, unfortunately, next uh, uh, think tank, and maybe it's simply because Jason Alexander was on set, but 
is a much more revitalized, knows what it's about and all of this, but this is just like everyone was half asleep while they were making this episode. It happens, but yeah. Yeah, they probably could have like gotten pages mixed up in the script, and I don't know if anyone would have noticed. I don't know if I would have noticed. And and I frankly don't know how you would make an episode like this interesting. I mean, that is the other problem with it is that, and that, again, that's not my job. I'm not a staff writer on Star Trek Voyager, but it it is a very sort of like it it feels like the kind of episode that you could come up with a. Um, there's this like Star Trek Voyager plot generator online somewhere and if you want to have some fun go check it out it's a good way to waste 20 minutes of your life and and i feel like this episode could have been generated by that plot generator you know like aliens from chaotic space you know it's like it's just what is any of this and it, it, it it just fails on all levels and that's really all there is to it it just it fails on all levels the plot is not interesting the the spirituality is not interesting it doesn't tell us anything about chakotay and in fact, it actively works against what we already knew about him because it invents a mental yeah. illness for him out of whole cloth. It invents a new interest for him out of whole cloth. Like, why is he into boxing? Which doesn't really fit with Chicote either. I mean, it doesn't fit with Star Trek. I mean, yeah. who boxes? People don't watch. I mean, people don't like, like boxing now. Okay. If Tom Paris decided he was into boxing, I could get that. Because Tom Paris sure. loves all of this weird past shit. And this would be if Bolana got into boxing. She that could be I get that, sure. I, you know, this is and maybe maybe it would have made sense for Bolana to be into boxing as a safer way of dealing with her anger. But whatever. For Chicote, I mean like I the doctor past I mean, the doctor's reaction to boxing makes a lot of sense for him, goes completely with that character as somebody who's going to be patching up the injuries and who is so committed to life. This is just going to be just gross and horrible to him, but Chakotay isn't that militant. He isn't really, you know, he he tries to be pacifist when he can. He tries to uh, defuse... I, I, they don't even try to do a half-assed, well, my people have a warrior tradition kind of thing. Like, like it just is – whoever wrote this episode likes boxing and insisted on writing an episode of Voyager about boxing and everybody else is just too tired to care because, well, at least the fucking script is done. Right, exactly. I mean, like, people are allowed to have diverse interests, and we yeah. all have interests that we other people might think are odd. But uh, at the end of the day, you're right. Like, there is no way to really square this circle. And Chakotay being into boxing feels like, I mean, I don't know. Did they have the set lying around? <laughs> did they get a deal yeah. on some costumes? I know that's not how these things work, but... It feels very arbitrary. You know, it's like, well, it's, I guess, because it's dramatic, it's easy to shoot, right? Like the blocking is not that hard. You know, it's not like tennis or golf or something. I mean, if they wanted yeah, yeah, to go yeah. for sports that are played one on one, and I will say that, that in the episode's defense, a tiny bit, I think the idea of Chakotay being into one on one sports makes sense. I think yeah. he is a competitive person at the same time that he is not violent. So if you're talking about like competitive one-on-one sports that are not violent, you know, the the list is is rather short, but 
it still could have been done. I mean, I, I make him be really into well, ping pong. I mean, that would have been ridiculous, but at least it would have been more interesting to watch. And to be fair, while and personally, while boxing and MMA all that are rough sports, I'm not necessarily sure it. Like violence almost does seem a little bit too far because, uh, uh, uh I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, you know, viol- There's no sense of violation. There's no sense of attempting to hurt somebody. You know, this is all a, in theory, it's a sportsmanlike contest yeah. and kind of thing. But, but you know, either way, yes, it is. It is punching another guy. It's true. Um. What and, is and what I, is so different about that than a Klingon blood sports simulator, though? Because nobody is that upset about the Klingon simulations on the ship. Well, I mean, if you want to get all Star Trek-y about it, uh, I mean, I, I would, do. I would say that, <laughs> I would say that that you know, in the Star Trek universe, the the violent foibles of humanity's past are looked down on in 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 let's say not a great way. But it's okay. But those instincts are still there, right? Mm-hmm. And and those instincts still exist. I mean, that's the whole going back to the original series with Kirk's. You know, we don't have to make the choice not to kill ever. We just have to make the choice not to kill today and tomorrow. Sure. You know, um, and I think that's where that is coming from because on the level of well they can go into a klingon battle simulator that's okay because they're honoring klingon culture and is it a little bit of like a like a you know a, a, a sly way to get by it sure it is but i think it also fits in with the ways in which humanity has been developed in the 24th century star trek that's true i do kind of wish though instead of by boxing it might have been on bojutsu or something like that but um <laughs> Well, we should we should probably move on to, to Think Tank because I'm real excited to talk about Think Tank. But before we do that, um, I do want to mention one other thing about this episode, which I think damns it even more because this really indicates to me that the writers knew they had a stinker. They put Boothby in it for basically yeah, no was reason about to- other than, hey, remember Boothby? Remember how much you like Boothby? <laughs> I mean, he's trying to be Burgess Meredith, but yeah, that that that's... Sometimes Voyager's fan service is fun. Sometimes it's a little pathetic. When we saw him in the Species 8472 is makes the Starfleet. Like, that one made sense. That Boothby cameo made sense. Sure. Here, I mean, the actor was free, obviously. I guess he was. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad doesn't... he got a paycheck. And doesn't Chakotay say something ridiculous? Like he was like Boothby. Boothby coached me when I was at yeah, the like academy. what? And you're like, how many jobs did this guy fucking have? Like he was the gardener. He was the de facto counselor. He was apparently a boxing coach. Like what else did he do? Was he the guy that was like filling in the swimming pool? Was he teaching classes? Was he making the food? Like what? What's Maybe, going on here? Well, here's my fan theory. There's like five Booth Bee clones in existence at any time, and they constantly yeah. because he's a very old guy. Like they constantly have new yeah. Booth, new Booth Bee is replacing him, and so it's basically like the film Multiplicity, except you know in the Star Trek universe. And that's why everyone is so surprised when they go back to Starfleet Academy, like yeah. forty and fifty years after they graduate. They're always like, "Holy fuck, Booth Bee <laughs> is still here." That's why. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to Think Tank. But before we do that, 
Did you know this podcast is listener supported? What does that mean? It means that you need to give us some money, my friend. Go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. All right. Think Tank. Um, I think I know the – you said there was one problem that hurts this episode. And is it that every time Jason Alexander is on screen, you think, holy shit, it's Jason Alexander? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like because – I mean, he's a really good actor. He's really, but well, partic- and, and, but particularly for the time that this came out, when he was one of the most popular characters on one of the most popular shows in a very recognized, you know, it's he doesn't transcend the character, and yeah, that's that's a it's awkward almost. It's like he's cosplaying. Yeah, so this was a year after Seinfeld ended. Seinfeld okay. went off the air in the in the spring of ninety eight, and oh, this wow. is the the spring of ninety nine. So I'm sure that that uh, Jason Alexander was at cross purposes, felt lost. You know, I just heard an interview with him recently on WTF with Mark Marin, which was really good, and he talked about how they basically were ready to be done. Like at the end of every season. They would get together and Jerry Seinfeld would say, hey, guys, you think you got another one in you? And they'd go, yeah, yeah, I think we do. And, you know, towards the like the end of the eighth season, they were kind of like, I I think we're getting ready to be done. Um, I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure it was also kind of weird to not be working. Um, I'm couching all of this because we just can't get around the fact that um, I don't know if it's the fact that Jason Alexander was grossly miscast. I don't know if he was given really bad direction. I don't know what happened, but and longtime listeners of our podcast will know that that I do not criticize acting normally because I really have no frame of reference for doing so. But this is really bad. Like yeah. I I don't know what he's trying to do here. And it seems like he's trying to play malevolently, mysteriously, a little bit nice, but but malicious. And he just can't pull it off. It comes across like it comes across like somebody slipped him some Valium before they shot every day. And it's not good. He sucks. Like every time a scene gets going and then Jason Alexander's character appears, you can just feel the energy. It sucked right out of the scene. And yeah. it's not good. No. And, and he's... This isn't what Jason Alexander is good at. Jason Alexander is really good at playing big. He is good at yeah. playing larger than life. He is good at chewing the scenery. That's that's and I appreciate the instinct to say, you know, I've been for the past 10 years everybody's known me as this one character the ineffective and loud and whenever he can't does not have the you know Costanza does not have the power to back up his threats when he gets angry about something he yells and blusters and all that I want to play a character who is very different who is hyper intelligent who is manipulative who does have the ability to back up way and he just doesn't have that. That's not what he's good at. And and it's like I said, I I mean I said, you know, Jason Alexander is a good actor, but I I guess qualify that 
this episode is demonstrating that he's not a great actor because – I mean picture the, the version of him that was able to pull this off is a version that really kicked ass, you know? Like, like – Yeah. And – yeah, he just can't quite do it. Again, I just see him in a weird wig. and <laughs> Yeah, the wig is not great. I, I think that, that that fundamentally is the problem and the tension at this the, the, the core of this episode, which is, you know, we've been talking about it for, for about five minutes now, and we have not engaged with the text of this episode at all. We have talked only about Jason Alexander. And this is my problem with Think Tank is that I found it a very interesting episode to watch yeah. critically for the podcast. In the back of my mind, when I think about this episode, I think, oh, right, that's the episode of Star Trek Voyager with Jason Alexander in it. Yeah. I don't remember anything about the plot. I don't remember anything about his character. I don't know what's going on in this episode. And absent Jason Alexander's kind of lackadaisical performance in this episode, I think this would be a pretty solid episode of Voyager. It's an interesting concept. It's got some interesting tension between Janeway and Seven of Nine. But it's just, it, it's yeah. grossly hampered by by the fact that they, they cast Jason Alexander in this role. Well, it feels like a gimmick episode. And I mean, I, I, and to, I'm and at- to be fair, you know, to be fair, I think it, it, it may have been, you know, I mean, oh. next, next, I mean, I said this before, but next year or but next season we get an episode with the rock you know and the rock was not like a huge star at that point yeah. but but he was still somewhat known so yeah i mean this happens more and more yeah i um like i'm doing that you know thought imagination thing that i do where all right well let's say instead of boothby you have jason alexander playing the boxing trainer and a different character who can ham it up maybe that may would have made the fight interesting because all right well at the very least yeah, Jason Alexander is hamming it up and going to be funny and okay, and then we have a real actor playing the character in Think Tank who is able to have that uh, that uh, air of malice to him and untrustworthiness. I think that there's a lot of actors that can pull this kind of thing off. Jason Alexander is not one of them. Yeah, and, and it's a shame because, as you say, this is a – I like the concept – of this villain i like the plot that they're in i i mean i think the cleverest thing about the episode is that they don't even bullshit us they seven of nine considers the offer for about five minutes before saying yeah no and it's not even a like there is no question this is this is an episode that knows that we've seen a dozen times that Seven of Nine has chosen the Voyager as her collective and that she's not moving on. Um, but I like epis- – I, I really do like the Voyager episodes where they have a plan but they're all acting as if they don't have a plan and they're they're letting the bad guys get the draw. I love when they do that. I think they always do that well and that's always interesting. Again, everything except for Jason Alexander is really good about this episode. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I like the rest of this episode quite a bit. And, and you know, you give short trip to the Seven of Nine stuff. And I think in some respects, you're not wrong to do that because the show is beyond that at this yeah. point. But, you know, but look that- at an episode that we just talked about, the 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 fight, which basically threw out or, or ignored all of Chakotay's character development. Think Tank is the exact opposite 
of Voyager, which honors the character development of Seven of Nine. And yeah. They have and- they have abandoned the idea that she is once again going to be tempted to leave. You know, I mean, it is a little bit of a similar character beat to her, like in Dark Frontier, for instance. But I, I do think the idea of Seven of Nine as a singular prize is is an interesting one, and I think that it's it's going to get dividends because not because it's an inherently interesting concept, but because it allows Janeway and Seven of Nine to really show the strength of the relationship that they've built with each other. Yeah, and the note that I really like in this episode is Janeway's telling Seven of Nine to legitimately consider this offer. And it's it, Janeway does know that if, if Seven of Nine wants to make this decision – she accepts that she's an individual. She accepts that this might be the best thing in the thing for her if that's her decision. And she allows her that freedom. And, of course, Seven of Nine does not go with the offer, but I think, do think she respects the opportunity to have the choice. That is a mark of growth. Again, we all, we all know it's obvious that Seven of Nine is never going to want to take this offer, but it's not so obvious that Janeway would allow it and that – that is a mark on that. That's good on Janeway in this episode. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think that that it, the episode is a lot smarter than I think people give it credit for. Because it, it is interesting to watch. You know, again, I don't think Jason Alexander and Kate Mulgrew have fantastic chemistry together, mm-hmm. but I do like that he is able to subtly suggest to her to manipulate her into entertaining this idea, telling Seven of Nine that she should consider the offer. Um, because she that that was not her intent. That was not what she was going to do, and and that kind of thing is interesting because to me it, it shows that you know there, this kind of thing is hard to pull off sometimes. Like this idea that these people are playing like seven dimensional chess and they've got all the moves ahead of you and they know what everything you're going to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think this episode pulls it off pretty well, and it pulls it off by by small moments like that, not by you know the the think tank trying to do something terrible to Voyager. It's, it's basically using their own impulses yeah. against them, which I which I find interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that this is the first cold open that we've had in a while that actually has a point to it because yeah. no, it's been very – this is the – obviously from watching the cold mo- open, we do not trust the Jason Alexander character one bit through the entire episode. And again, yeah. I think that's a clever moment of it. There is a – the version of the episode that does not have that – that allows us for, hey, maybe the sky is on the level. We never realize – we never even entertain that he's on the level after that opening. Yeah, we, we don't think that he's on the level and, and really what, what is fun about the episode is is figuring out exactly what's going on. I mean – I, I mean, obviously, I knew that that they yeah. were in league with the Hazari because I had seen the episode before. I don't really expect that that you or the other people that are watching this would would necessarily be able to pick up on that. I mean, I, I guess what's more important, after yeah, a point, but well, it was did, also the kind of, I mean, I found it the kind of twist where I felt clever for figuring it out rather than oh, it was obvious. Like it, right, it, that's it, yeah, that's yeah. It's like it's you, you feel clever for figuring it out, and even if you don't figure it out, you think. Oh, that makes sense. That's interesting. I like that twist. And it's a twist which does have kind of the key to their downfall because the way that they are able to get the drop on the think tank is not by 
outsmarting them, not by outplotting them in a way because, again, they realize they're going to counter us. They are smarter than we uh, we are. They are more determined than we are maybe, but they are addicted to these very complex plans and they're very arrogant about it and that's where they're able to slip everything in and and turn the tide in their favor. And again, that's the... That's what I like about Star Trek when it isn't done through sheer firepower, but by figuring out the clever weakness and figuring out how to disable it through that. Um, Yeah, because this is is another one of those episodes that Star Trek likes to do sometimes where a certain group or alien species or whoever will not engage with the Federation in good faith and will actively lie to their faces and take that as a sign that the Federation is naive or the Federation is stupid. And we have said many times before that that is a very bad thing to do because the Federation is not naive. The Federation is not stupid. Uh, they they may be a little slow sometimes to to pick up on all of the nuances of a situation, but but they will get there and they will doggedly pursue you to the ends of the earth. And that is one of the things that I I think also slots in very nicely with the character of Janeway. Like like that version of the Federation, that version of Starfleet and Janeway are very perfectly matched and. This is a really fun episode to watch on that level. You know, that, that scene where they all join together in the mess hall, yeah. the Azari and the, uh, the Voyager crew, and they've got that montage of them figuring out what their plan's going to be. I mean, this is something we've seen many television shows and movies do tons and tons of times. It is, you know, the, the working montage is a, is a cliche for a reason, but it's a cliche because it works. And yeah. it's, it's just, you know, is this the deepest episode? Is there a lot to say about whatever? Nah, maybe not. But it's just, it's fun to watch. Yeah, and to me, the clearest indication of the power of the Federation is the fact that they are very e- relatively easy, easily able to align with the Hazari. That, I, I, yeah. I mean, it says a lot about the Hazari that they are willing to negotiate in good faith at all with the Federation, at, but... We're told at one point, oh, they they will never break their contracts, and you count out bid out by them and all of that, and they managed to convince the Hazari that they should do that, and that I think is pretty. This is why you don't fuck with the Federation because they will ultimately friend everybody else against you. <laughs> Yeah, because I think that really what it comes down to is that Janeway is really good at figuring out how to manipulate people. And and manipulate has bad connotations, of course, and I'm not necessarily saying that she is doing this in bad faith or she is lying to the Hizari, well, but she it's... knows what to say to make them do what she wants them to do. But the other part of it, too, is that it's in their best interest to do it. Like, yeah, the Hazari are not going to get out of this situation unscathed. And, and Janeway realizes that, and it's her responsibility to convince them of what she already knows is true. Yeah, they're not manipulating out of cruelty or because they're mean or whatever like that as the—I mean, the think tank is manipulative out of selfishness, right? They— 
have decided that seven of nine working with them is in everybody's be- in their best interest, and so it doesn't matter. They will do you know. Yes, if they can convince seven of nine just by suggesting it, so much the better. Better to spend less effort. But if they need to do it almost against her will, there they want her on her on their team and. Janeway just wants to get home and have everybody be okay and happy, and she she recognizes that, yes, these think tank are kind of shitty, and maybe they should be arrested by the Hazari. Because you know what, what's interesting about it is that they do set up the think tank to to be sort of like the the you know mirror universe opposite of the Federation in a certain sense. You know, and mm-hmm. in, in some ways they remind me of um, the the uh, the Voyager recreation from uh, I forget the name of the episode, but uh, the episode where the Doctor is oh living years witness in the future. Yeah, Living Witness. You get yeah, you get all those scenes of of Janeway like, yes, I'll help you for a price, you know. And that is not the Federation. That's why we know that it's not really Janeway. I mean, aside from all of the like, you know, S and M like uniform stuff going on. But but it is the case that the think tank seems helpful and will come to you and will offer you something. Um, But then they want something in exchange. And the difference between the think tank and the Federation is that the Federation doesn't want anything in exchange or if they do want something in exchange if you cross them if you go against your word and 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 go against the trade the federation will go all right well that's your right to do that but we're disappointed in you that was i mean as early as the original series right like they they were trying to negotiate with for dilithium with somebody and they basically the the other aliens are saying well you'll destroy us if you don't want to like you know and kirk's like no we won't that's why you should negotiate with us if you say no we're just gonna go home happily so yeah we're, we're you know if you say yes we will do this trade in terms that are favorable to both of us that's yeah. what you're getting you're getting an honest deal on this um yeah i mean that and- that has been in a lot of ways one of the most consistent things in yeah. star trek and I mean, at the be- a- a- and it's funny because even the even the think tank is pretending that they're getting an honest deal. A- a- even as veiled of a- 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 even as threatening as the cold open is, we are seeing a transition transaction in which something was agreed to, and then the other aliens decided to trick them and were going back on their word and. We don't know how seriously to take the, well, if we give you all of that, we're going to have nothing for ourselves. We don't know how seriously to take that, but we are seeing something where they went back on a word, and it is a gray area. Even The, the gray areas that, they, that Janeway comments on immediately as they're meeting is that they are willing to use their abilities to make war. Yes, they ha- They say they have, you know, we, we're not, we'll not make weapons of mass destruction. We're not going to genocide a species, and maybe they will do that. Yes, their ethics are questionable, especially by Federation standards, but I, I, again, Janeway finds that a, red, a, a, a yellow flag in a way. There are a bunch of yellow flags which crop up, but... They do pretend. Uh, the biggest is that they pretend to be negotiating in good faith. Yes, all we want is you know grandma's cookie recipe, and that'll be fine. Or whatever you can afford, we'll work it out. And 
that is not what they're willing to do. They are willing to cheat their way through. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that, that kind of to wrap that back around to, to Jason Alexander's performance is that, and this will connect, I swear, um, that in a lot of ways, the think tank is like the mafia. And, yeah. And there's almost this like little bit of Jason Alexander's performance where he is like trying to play the yeah. capo to some mafioso guy and not really able to pull it off. But but if you look at his performance in that context yeah. and you look at the ways in which he may be looking at Think Tank and the script for the episode, like maybe that's what he was trying to go for. Yeah, there is a degree, uh, and, and especially with the way that he is fixing situations behind the scenes. You know, if you pay us, it'll protect you from getting beaten up because if you don't pay us, we're beating you up. Right. That that's kind of what the think tag is trying to do. And I mean, there is a. This is something I wish the episode had been able to go further with because it's a group of people who are positioning themselves as intellectuals and artists and the cream of intelligentsia and really are just thugs. Yeah, and yeah. that's something again I could have seen the episode going with that it just doesn't quite hit but uh you're right i mean i I, i'm you know cast james gandolfini as this role and it's amazing yeah yeah exactly i mean i think it's just you know and it's not to say jason alexander's even doing like like a bad job necessarily but but it is just a case of the actor and the role are just not quite matching with with what's going on here how did well get i mean is this one of those where he told the Voyager people, hey, I'd like to be on a Star Trek kind of a thing, or did they, like, how did I, that happen? I don't know, actually. Um, I wouldn't I be surprised if he liked Star Trek, frankly, but... I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, I think that's how a lot of actors end up yeah. in Star Trek. Um, but, but yeah, uh, like, Tig Notaro, the comedian, is going to be on the next season of Star Trek Discovery. Ah. And oh, I take back fun. every negative thing I ever said about Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> um, I'm sure she, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm a Star Trek fan. I'll be on yeah, Star yeah, Trek. Yeah. Well, that's how um, Iggy Pop got around, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, you know, I mean, we weren't really that impressed by Iggy Pop's performance per se. That was a bit of a gimmick as well. But he's also Iggy Pop. I mean, he's a singer, not an actor. And... And he wasn't like a huge part of that episode. Yeah. I mean, that, that's also part of what is the the issue here is that if Jason Alexander had been a cameo or, or the capper on some sort of like episode long joke as that yeah. character was, I think it would have been a little it, it would have worked a little better. Yeah. But they were yeah, just yeah. asking Jason Alexander to to hold a lot of the water for this episode and just couldn't quite pull it off. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't seem like the episode was written for her, him or anything like that when you know, that may have been more effective. Yeah. Well, we should wrap this episode up, but one more thing I want to mention before we give you all of the juicy details about what's coming up next. Um, the Think Tank cured the Vidian Phage. Yes. And I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm... I Because I'm really interested in the concept of what happens to the Vidians post-phage. but yeah. and, and, I mean, he suggests that major social changes are beginning to happen in them, and 
I, I, it's a missed opportunity and that I'm very interested in those social changes. I know this is not the show that is going to go into that, but as just well, a general you, concept, it's, I don't know. Well, now you have more ammunition for your post-Voyager <laughs> I, my God. Star It'll, Trek that you want to write. I'm going to fold it into my post-DS9 Star Trek, but I think like the Vidians could become a major player in the world. All right. Well, somebody should make them. All right, well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on the fight or think tank, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, as we said earlier. It also supports our other podcast tuning in this week in two days. If you were listening to this on Tuesday when this episode came out, it's our 100th episode of Tuning In. We are talking about Dreamland 2, and how the ghosts stole Christmas. Talk about stunt casting. You want to check out this week's tuning in as well. I, I didn't realize we had two anniversaries right near each other. Yeah, yeah, we did. Wow. Believe it or not. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truck About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple podcast review for this podcast that you are listening to. If you are subscribed in Apple Podcasts, I believe that there is a way to leave a review right from the app, and you should do that. And right, I know why week. they should do that, because why, it is Richard? the best way for new listeners to become new listeners. That's very us. true. That's very true. That's a good job, Richard. Otherwise, they're just old listeners, and we don't like old people. I like that this little ending spiel that I've done for podcasts and podcasts is becoming a little more interactive. It's fun. It's like a it's it's, it's a catchphrase, and like then then on like our fan pages on like TV trips, they can be like catchphrase. Eric likes to say catchphrase. It's the best way for new listeners to get and and they can list all our other catchphrases and like how I hate energy beings. I think this should yeah, happen. You, you you have make one us of those a for TV every tropes Star Trek page. Series, so yeah. All right, well, next week, three episodes of Star Trek Voyager Season 5 podcast left, believe it or not. This season kind of went by quickly. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be talking about Juggernaut and Someone to Watch Over Me. 